Good morning, church. You know, this morning as we continue going through this series called Sunday Lunch, can I just say that my preparation for the sermon this week uh, came very naturally. Uh, Maybe it's because I like this word lunch so much, you know, just kind of came natural. Um, You know, it's been so cool this week to really over the last couple of weeks, to see the pictures that a lot of you've been posting on social media platforms, like showing yourself out with other groups, going out to lunch, enjoying this time of fellowship. And I think what's been so cool about it is it's so reminiscent of what the early church did that we read about in Acts chapter 2, where it says they broke bread in their home and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So whether you've been meeting with one another in your homes, gathering around your table. Maybe some of you have been going out to eat. I just want to encourage you to keep that up. Maybe some of you have not yet had the opportunity. And just let me encourage you, just take advantage of this series. Do that. Invite somebody out that maybe you're not familiar with, you don't know very well. Get to know them because I believe what's happening here is by doing this, it's only going to strengthen our church unity as we minister with one another to the Quad Cities and the surrounding areas. Now, last week, Pastor Evan preached this second part of this series, and he shared with us about the importance of serving one another. You know, he used the example of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and he even made the point to say, listen, he even washed the feet of Judas, the one who would betray him in just a few short hours. It shows the heart of Jesus. Evan said that to serve others well, we need to become more like Jesus. If you remember, he shared Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, and he he says this, this is what um, Paul writes. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, unfortunately, as humans, we come pre-equipped with a natural tendency to always want to look out for number one. We, should, we live in a world where there's this constant discussion, this constant debate on like who the GOAT is. And if, if you're familiar with the GOAT, if you're familiar with that acronym, you know that it means the greatest of all time. Now, every time I hear that brought up, it usually is between one of two people. And, and, and in fact, if you look it up on the internet, because I was just interested in what, where we would go there, it still always comes down to two people. I probably don't even need to tell you who it is, do I? Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Yeah, it's silly. I don't even think we need to discuss it. But the truth of the matter is we do. We live in this world where people want to be the goat. Now, can I just say in a spiritual sense this morning, don't be a goat. I'm serious. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down. Don't be a goat. I want to see it all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram today. Don't be a goat. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. We'll clarify that statement, so stay tuned. But we do. We live in this world where we want to look out for number one. However, as we look at Jesus, as we look at his life, his life exemplifies what it means to live as a believer. Like Evan taught us last week, Jesus modeled so well for us a humble and a selfless love in everything he did. Can you imagine what a world we would live in if every Christian lived 
I mean, actually lived like Jesus did? And we took these words of the Apostle Paul to heart where, where he said, let each of you look not only at your own interests, but also at the interest of others. You know, the Greek verb translated look in this passage, it means to turn one's attentions, interests, and expectations towards something. Now catch this, and respond accordingly. So we see something, we see a need, and we respond to that need. I remember just a, a few years ago when I was still the student pastor here at BCC, we took a group of students down to Atlanta to serve. The whole purpose of this trip is to serve, and so we had been serving with a ministry, an organization called Jesus Place that, that works with the homeless in, in the Atlanta area, and I remember we had a little bit of a free moment, and so we decided we were going to go downtown Atlanta, we were going to go to Centennial Olympic Park, and so we drove down together in the van, and parking near the park, there's, there's just not much parking like right there, and so I dropped off our students with our other adult leaders, and I went and I parked our van. And as soon as I got out of the van, a gentleman approached me and he said, excuse me, sir, but you, can you help me? Now, listen, we've been on this trip with our students. We've been praying about opportunities. Our eyes would be open to the need. And so right here, my eyes have been open to a need. What's my response going to be? And I get talking with this gentleman. He said he and his wife and his children are from out of town. He, their car had broken down. It was being worked on and he was just a few dollars short of being able to pay for it. And so I get my wallet out, and I'm thinking, what's a few dollars short? And I ask him, and he says, $80. I don't know where he comes from, but that's not just a few dollars short for me. Like, but here's, here's the deal. I've been praying for opportunity. I've been praying God opened my eyes, and here he is. And I opened my wallet, and I kid you not, I had $80 in my wallet. 80 exactly. And I'm thinking in my own mind, oh boy, what am I going to do? $80. And so I, I just, I got it out and I handed it to him. And I'll never forget the look on his face. I'll never forget how he teared up and began to cry and just explained to me, just, just, he couldn't believe that somebody would help him like that. And I remember just taking the opportunity and just telling him, look, it's, it's not me. <laughs> like, I didn't want to tell him if it was me, you wouldn't have got any penny from me, you know? And but, but, but I said, no, this is from God. This is from God. And so I prayed with him and, you know, we, I went to try to catch up with our students. And as I continued to walk, another gentleman approaches me and he says, dude, I'm hungry. And I said, so am I, you know? And uh, like I said, I like lunch. But he's like, would you be able to like loan me a few bucks? Uh, not loan, but you know, can you give me a few dollars? I'm thinking, man, I just, I just gave away my last penny. But I've got a debit card, all right? So I said, hey, there's a subway right here. I said, why don't we go in and get some subway? He said, man, that would be awesome. And so we went in and the line was long. And I still remember as we walked into this restaurant, I remember, I remember the restaurant owner looking up and looking at the guy and he says, you can't be in here you can't be in here. And I says, can he be in here if I buy his lunch? And he said, yes, if you're buying him lunch, he can come in. 
And I remember we just had this opportunity to talk, and I told him I was on a mission trip and with students, and he had told me how he had grown up going to church, and he was a big guy, and how, how everybody liked to call him big country. And just we got into this discussion just about life, and I had this opportunity just to buy him a sandwich, and I bought myself one too. And I knew I had to hurry, so we sat down, and we ate really quick, and we prayed together. Now listen, please, please, please. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. But what I want to show this morning is when you see the needs of other people and you respond to that need, what God can do. And listen, I don't know what continued to happen in this man and his wife and his children's life as they got in their van and they took off. I don't know what happened to big country. All I know is for me, I saw a need that God put in front of me and I felt like I responded to that need. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to look out for the interests of other people. And that means we always have to keep our eyes open. We have to be aware of our circumstances and our surroundings and the people that we come across on a daily basis so that we will see their needs and the needs of others. You know, and this is the heart of what we're going to continue to talk about this morning. This very fact that we are surrounded by need. And as disciples, as believers of the gospel, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to increase our awareness to see the needs of the world and the people around us. And then, this is the important part, to respond to it. Because it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to respond to it. And this is what we see the early church in Acts chapter 2 doing so well. In verse 45 of this second chapter of Acts, we read that they sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Now, before we jump into the passage of Scripture that I really want to focus on this morning, I think it's important that we understand the context in which it is written. Now, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46 this morning, but I want to start by looking at Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 15, to help us better understand our key text. Now, this is the revelation that Jesus gave to the Apostle John about the final judgment that would take place when he comes again. So if you would, let's read together. Then I saw a great white throne and fled, or I'm sorry, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in them. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. <laughs> you know, this took a turn in a totally different direction, didn't it? I mean, here we were this morning, we were talking about the need to increase our needs, to increase our awareness, I'm sorry, to see the needs of other people around the world and how we should respond to it. And now we're talking about revelation and judgment and a book of life and a lake of fire. How does this connect? 
want to encourage you to stick with me this morning because I want to explain this. You see, just like this passage of Revelation, when we get into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, in it, Jesus himself talks about the end time events. He talks about the second coming. And then as we get into the beginning of Matthew chapter 25, right before our main text that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus tells some parables to help better understand these truths of what he has taught in chapter 24. And then Jesus, he talks about judgment and he talks about the need for each and every one of us who call ourselves believers to be prepared. And I know what's happening now. <laughs> for many of us, we may be getting a little bit uncomfortable, possibly even a little nervous, because nobody likes to talk about sin. And nobody likes to talk about judgment. You know, we all love to talk about the things like love and joy and peace and happiness. It's a whole lot more fun to talk about these things, isn't it, than it is to talk about sin and judgment. But we need to understand this morning that the Bible that we rely so heavily on to assure our hearts of God's merciful, gracious, forgiving, and loving self, it's the same Bible that talks with equal intensity and frequency about God's wrath and how there's coming a day when every man and woman will give an account for the words, the deeds, and the thoughts of their life. What we have to understand this morning is that mankind is ultimately responsible for their own lives. We're not going to be able to blame our parents. We're not going to be able to blame our friends. We're not going to be able to blame the government. We're not going to be able to blame this world. We're not going to be able to blame our own fallen nature. And we're not even going to be able to believe the evil one himself. No, we need to realize that we're responsible for ourselves. And we will be held accountable for our own acts and our own decisions. It's important that we understand that because this brings us to our text this morning, once again, which is found in Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now the Son of Man, this is, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. When he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. As I mentioned earlier, don't be a goat. You know, in his commentary on this passage, Dr. Bob Butley, he says, this is not a definitive passage. This is not, uh, we, or I'm sorry, we do not learn everything about judgment from this passage. He says, this is more of a dramatic presentation instead of a detailed description. That's why we read the passage we read earlier, because in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, we see that it actually kind of gives a balance to this passage out of Matthew. When we bring this in, we realize that it is our profession of faith in Christ, which is written in the Lamb's Book of Life that saves us. If we just look at the passage out of Matthew, I think we could argue just a little bit that a judgment of works would be coming based on what people do for one another. But once again, like I said in Revelation, we find out it's because of our profession of faith. However, I believe the way in which we live, the way we live as Christians, I think it verifies, I think it confirms, and I think it solidifies the decision that we've made in Christ. This passage is on the necessity and the importance of Christian living. I think what we see in this passage is that all nations, all people, it says, will be judged. This shows the universality of the judgment of God. It's going to happen everywhere to everyone. Everybody is going to be judged. And it tells us here that he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And I think it's important that we understand that right here we see that there are only two categories of mankind that we need to be concerned about. You know, it's not race. It's not gender. It's not politics. It's not social status. It comes down to two categories. Those who are sheep and those who are goats. It will be perfectly black and white on this day. There's going to be no gray area there's going to be no ambiguity here. There are only two groups. You're going to either be with a group known as the sheep, or you're going to be in a group known as the goats. There are only two groups. And what you've done with Jesus Christ, how you've lived your life for him, this is what's going to determine which group that you end up in. And he's going to put the sheep you know, these are the ones who saw the need and they reacted to that need. Those who fed the hungry, those who gave drink to the thirsty, and those who invited in the stranger, and those who clothed the needy, those who took care of the sick, and those who invited in a stranger, those who visited the prisoner. He's going to put these people on his right hand. And listen, the right hand, man, this is a place of honor. And this is a place of authority in Scripture. And it says that these people, these sheep, these who took care of people's needs, it says that they will inherit the kingdom of God. But to the goats, 
to those on his left, says he's going to send them away to eternal punishment. And listen, the, sh- the goats, they're going to say, but, but Lord, Lord, you know, we didn't know it was you. Like if we'd known it was you, maybe we'd done something, but Lord, we, we, we didn't know it was you. And I believe Jesus in that moment, I think he's going to say, every time that you failed to meet a need, to do a good deed, to the least of these, you failed to do this good deed to me. See, the reality of Scripture is this. There are not only sins of commission, meaning not only just the bad things we do, but even more significant on Judgment Day, I think we're going to find out that there's sins of omission, the things we didn't do, the things that we failed to do and act upon. And so to understand this text, we need to understand this. This is huge. Both the sheep and the goats both the sheep and the goats, they see the need, but only the sheep respond. So it's clear that they both see the need, but only the sheep respond. So let me say it again. Don't be a goat. Now, here's what being a goat may actually look like. You know, when your heart told you to act, but you didn't respond. When your heart beat with compassion for, for something or someone, but you didn't respond. When you felt the tug of the Holy Spirit to do something for someone out of love, and you refused. Each and every one of us will give an account on that day, and you will either be a sheep or you will be a goat. Now, trust me when I say this, none of us here want to be a goat. And so what does it look like? How do we live as sheep? Over the past two months, I've had the opportunity, the privilege to lead a small group Bible study here at the church on Monday nights. We've been looking at a series called Going Global. And in this series, we've been talking about global missions, and we've been talking about the Great Commission. And this past Monday night, one of the speakers in the video we were watching a gentleman by the name of Matt Hannon he said we need to see and respond to the needs of the least the last and the lost he said if you follow the life of Jesus you will see that he always focused on the least the last and the lost he says we can't be a consistent follower of Jesus without maintaining that same heart We can't step back from our obligation to portray the life of Christ and be the body of Christ to the needs of the world around us. We must have our eyes open. We need to see and respond to the needs of the least, the last, and the lost. I want to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, to see what this could actually look like. What could it look like to respond? What could it look like to see the needs of other people? See, Jesus, he's been out teaching and he's been out healing those. And now we enter this moment where Jesus calls Matthew, which in this passage, he's also known as Levi. And so when we read about Levi, please know this is Matthew. And he he calls Levi here to be his disciple. 
And it says after this, after this is the healing, the teaching he's been doing, it says he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes, they grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus is flipping everything the Pharisees and the religious leaders ever knew. And as we flip just one more chapter over into Luke chapter 6, Jesus continues to teach, and here he continues to flip the world upside down. The things that the world saw is right, Jesus says, no, I've got a different way for you. And so in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20, he says, and he lifted his eyes on the disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy and behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when, you, when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Once again, Jesus is flipping everything society goes after on its head. If you could, just humor me. And I want you to think back to what it was like when you were in elementary school. Possibly middle school. And you're out on the school playground, or maybe you're in the neighborhood with the neighborhood kids. And you start picking teams. Maybe it was for kickball. Maybe dodgeball. In our neighborhood, we love to play wiffle ball. But I want you to remember how it worked. Because there's always two people. These two people that pick the teams. And a lot of times, they're either the best athletes. Maybe they're just the loudest kids that that get their way. Maybe it's the most popular. But two people are appointed as captains, and then they begin to pick their team. One at a time, they take turns picking players. And there becomes a point when it always comes down to that last person who's standing there. I want you to remember it because chances are some of you have been that last person. I know I have been. And it always surprised me because I thought I was always pretty athletic. (laughs) But there's always somewhere where you're going to show up where you're not the best or you're not the most popular, or people don't know your skills yet. That's what I always said. They just don't know my skills. (laughs) But chances are, at some point, you've always been picked last. If you haven't been, God bless you, because you totally missed out on something that just destroyed your (laughs) self-image. Or at least it did mine. 
If, if that was not you, I want you to try to put yourself into that situation and just imagine for a second what it's like. Or maybe for some of you, maybe there's a time in your life where you weren't included. Maybe somebody's having a lunch and you weren't invited to that lunch. Maybe your friends went on this group vacation and you didn't even know about it until you saw their pictures start to you know, appear on Facebook. Maybe you're left out of the loop at this important meeting that takes place at work. You're the only one that doesn't show up. In those moments, it's hard. I want us to hold on to this feeling because it's the feeling of being the least. It's the feeling of being the last. It's this feeling of being the lost, the one who's not wanted, the one who's not included, the one who feels like they have the least value. You know, in Luke's account of this story of Jesus and Levi, Jesus has been calling his disciples and he's been teaching them and he's been healing the people in the crowds. He's been calling fishermen and he's been calling tax collectors to follow him. And in society that day, these fishermen, they were the working poor. And these tax collectors, they were the despised, immoral traitors. He's been healing the sick. He's been healing those who are paralyzed, those who have been demon-possessed. These are the untouchables of society, the ones seemingly cursed by God himself. Now, just before this banquet that Levi throws, remember, Jesus has called him this tax collector, this person who's looked down upon, this scourge of society. Jesus invites him to become a follower, to follow him, to be his disciple. And out of his response, out of his gratitude, he wants to have this banquet for Jesus. And so, what happens now? You know, this tax collector, who he finds sitting in this tax booth, he calls him and immediately he runs off after he decides to follow Jesus. He starts to get everything ready because he is so excited. He starts to throw this banquet. And what we have to understand in this Galilean culture, like a banquet was an extremely big deal. When somebody threw a banquet, people looked around to see who had been invited. Especially those who hadn't been invited. They want to know what's up. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they want to see what's happening. Why aren't they invited? So they start to look at those who are, and they start to see the people who show up. What we have to understand is the Pharisees, they weren't the biggest fans of Jesus. You know, Jesus certainly wasn't their favorite person. They're not going to start this fan club for Jesus. But here in this moment, man, Jesus is even crossing a line in their opinion. What's Jesus doing? I mean, to them, he was doing something extremely offensive. Why? Because in their mind, he had crossed a line. He crossed a line. He crossed this line of who was in and who was out, who was acceptable and who wasn't, who was valuable and who wasn't. In their eyes, this tax collector these sinners that Jesus was meeting with, and this was not acceptable or valuable. Preacher Fred Craddock, uh, he, he describes a tax collector this way. He says he was working for a foreign government, collecting taxes from his own people. He was a participant in a cruel and corrupt system. Politically, he was a traitor. 
and religiously, he was unclean. So according to these religious leaders, tax collectors, they were not about God's business. In fact, they were no business of God's at all. Like They just felt like God wouldn't even care for these people. But the fact of the matter is, they also believe that about the poor. They believe that about the sick and the disabled. They also believed it about women. And they believed it about children. See, to them, they were this select few. The Pharisees are offended at the company that Jesus is keeping here. Rather than associate with people who would bring honor, Jesus and his disciples were associating with people who in the eyes of the Pharisees would have brought shame. Now, here's the interesting part about all of this. The Pharisees would have had no problem if all Jesus was doing was calling these sinners to repentance. If Jesus is just telling them to repent because they're sinful, Pharisees probably would not have had a problem with that. But they were offended by Jesus because he was loving and he was associating with his people before they had repented. But that's how God's grace works, isn't it? You know, what's the promise of, of healing to those who aren't sick? What does grace mean to those who don't believe they need it? What is forgiveness to those who don't even know they've sinned? Listen, Jesus is telling them, I didn't come for the good people. And I came to save the last, the least, and the lost. See, only the least, the last, and the lost can appreciate the blessings that Jesus truly offers. And just like the Pharisees, listen, so easy to judge the Pharisees, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is we're all guilty of drawing lines. We're all guilty of it. Who's in, who's out, who belongs, who doesn't? You know, sadly, drawing these lines, it prevents us from seeing the very needs that Jesus has called us to meet. But Jesus, he demonstrates for us that the good news of the kingdom of God, it's all about erasing these lines that mankind has put up. So consider where you've drawn your lines. Consider who doesn't belong to you. And then work on erasing those lines. This is how your eyes can be open to the needs of those around you. We have to love everyone. If you're a follower of Christ, your preferences, what comes first to you, should be the same as it is for Jesus Christ. And for him, it's the least, the last, and the lost. And that's what he's asking us to do. It's who he's asking us to take care of. The point is, all who God loves, we should love. All who God embraces, we should embrace. When God erases the lines of who's in and who's out, so should we, and the needs of this world will become more and more clear to us. Now, before we wrap this thing up this morning, I want to look at one more passage of Scripture. It's found in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And in Jesus, it says, went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here we see the compassion of Jesus. The Lord saw the multitudes and he was moved by their misery. His heart went out to one and all. The people of the crowd, it says, were harassed and they were helpless. And his response was that of a tender shepherd, of the great shepherd to his sheep. Now, the thing is, he saw them as having no real guides, as sheep having no shepherd. That's what made him so sad. This is where his compassion was drawn up because they had nobody to lead them. Who did they have? Well, they had the Pharisees. They had the Sadducees, they had the scribes, and they had the rabbis. These were the men who were just as lost as the people they were attempting to lead. The world isn't much different today, is it? In fact, it's, it's much the same. Because people have been blinded by this world. And people are wandering in a spiritual wilderness. Millions of people will perish cherishing a secular worldview or false creeds of other religions, or they're going to wander into eternal darkness listening to false teachings of ungodly churches and pastors and cults. No wonder we read about the Lord's compassion for each man and woman and boy and girl living on this planet. Every one of us is an object of his heartfelt concern. When we look into Scripture, we see that Jesus himself could not see a poor woman struggling in loneliness and growing in despair for 12 years with a debilitating and distressing disease without wanting to help her. He could not see a poor demon-possessed man who couldn't speak for himself and do nothing about it. He could not look down at humanity at a lost humanity and not say to his father, Father, here I am. Send me. Man, Jesus loves and he sees the needs of all mankind. And so should we. I want to ask you all an extremely important question this morning. And this is a question that each and every one of us has to answer. It's not a homework assignment. Like, this is a life assignment. And it's this. Is your life, is your life characterized by your ministry to the least, the last, and the lost? Is that how your life is characterized? Because one day, according to Scripture that we read this morning, we're going to be judged on it. Remember, I want to make this perfectly clear. We're not being judged on the works that we do. We're being judged because these are the things we do because we call ourselves Christ followers. If we believe in Jesus Christ, our life has to match that. We just can't go around saying the words, I'm a Christian. That's why a lot of people look at Christians as idiots today. I'm tired of being lumped in with a lot of idiots. I hope that doesn't sound harsh. But if you're claiming to be a Christian, be a Christian. If you're claiming to follow Christ, follow Christ. He's called us to something bigger and better than ourselves. He's invited us to that. 
We get to be a part of that. That should be exciting to us that the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, has invited you. Invited you. He wants to use you. This is amazing. Man, let's, let's accept it as this cool, awesome responsibility that he's given us. God, all throughout scripture, gave man responsibility. Adam got to name the animals. How cool is that? But then you look all through scripture, and he's given every other single person a job to do. He's not excluding us. No, he wants you to be a part of it. Can you be a part of building up his kingdom? What is your ministry characterized by? Because one of our core values at BCC is this. It's generosity is our lifestyle. And so I want to ask you, are you seeing, but not just seeing, are you generously taking care of the needs of others? Whether it be financial or physical or emotional or spiritual. The reason Jesus did everything he did was not just to take care of a a hungry person's need. Yes, he wanted to take care of that hungry person because he loved them, but he wanted them to hunger for God. He wanted that person to thirst for him that he was giving a drink to. Because he said, these are the things that will fill you up. That's why we take care of needs so people see the love of God. Do you remember the difference between the sheep and the goats? The truth is, they all saw the need, but only the sheep responded. Remember, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. So every act in Jesus' name done for someone in need When you love them, when you minister to them, when you help them, you are doing it to no one less than Jesus Christ himself. And he counts that as ministry to himself. So the last time I'm going to say it, don't be a goat. And this leads us to our BCC big idea this morning, and it's this. When we seek to meet the needs of others, Christ is glorified. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is calling his disciples to action. He's calling us to action. He's intending to stir his followers to mission. Jesus was saying that the concern of the multitudes was not his alone. It's for every one of us. His disciples must also personally identify with the spiritual conditions and the needs of the crowd. The need is great, The harvest is plentiful. How are you going to respond? Now, as we close this morning, I want to share a kind of a quote, a paragraph, whatever you might say, from a book that I I read a while back called Servolution. And this is what it says. All throughout the Bible, God calls out to his people to notice others. The heart of God sees the people in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and in the cubicles next to us. He looks intently into our hearts and he says, let's do what it takes no matter what the cost. We can't let them get away. If we listen carefully, we will hear our father telling us, I love you. I care about you, but I don't only see you. I see beyond you as well. You belong to me and because you are so precious to me, I want to have you join me in my mission to others. He wants to have us share what he is telling us when he said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. We cannot let them get away. 
We may never know until we get to heaven how our service or our simple acts of kindness have affected the course of a life, of community, or even a nation. But if we do nothing, the result will be nothing. However, when you engage in the pursuit to serve people, we will witness the most amazing results. People will find hope and healing that can only be found in Jesus. And we will find that we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves as we join him in building his kingdom. Will you join me in that? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for this time that we can just come and gather and worship you and praise your name. And Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we know, we understand, we realize that, Father, it is through our acceptance of you, our profession of faith, saying that you are our Lord and Savior. That's what saves us. It's the blood of Christ. But, Father, we see that we're going to be judged according to what we do. And so you've called us to live. And I pray that we would live as sheep, not as goats. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.